Welcome to In the Oil Patch, presented by Shale Magazine, broadcasting today from Agreco Studios. Agreco, powering the Permian. In the Oil Patch is where, together, we explore topics that affect us all in oil, gas, business, and in your community. Every week, your host, Kim Bellotto, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch. And welcome to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Show. I'm your host, Kim Bellotto, and today we have a great show lined up for you. We will be joined by John England, who is a senior oil and gas partner with Deloitte LLP. But before we bring on John England, I'd like to talk to you about the latest issue of Shell Magazine. It is a great issue out now in which our cover is Congressman Cloud. If you know about Congressman Cloud, he's a brand new congressman in D.C. who actually took over Blake Farenthal's district out there in the South Texas area. Great guy, doing amazing things. Actually got to sit on Air Force One with President Trump and bring home a whole lot of money for Corpus Christi. It is a great interview. You definitely want to get to know this rising star out there in Congress. And now it's time to bring on the editor of Shell Magazine, David Blackman. David, welcome to the show. Hey, it's another beautiful day in Texas. It sure is. Back in June, you predicted that we would see a rig count continue to drop during the second half of the year. And, of course, as companies are starting to scale back with their drilling plans, we're starting to see what you had predicted is actually happening. Tell me a little bit about that. How did you know? Well, it it wasn't hard. You know, it just hasn't been in the industry for a long time. And, yeah, it is happening. We've gone from uh, a little little over 1,000 rigs, according to Drilling Info, 1st of July now, down to 885. So we've... We've lost about another 20 rigs during the month of July, and uh, we've lost 170 now since the peak on uh, right before Christmas last December. So, you know, that's pretty substantial. That is like uh, 18% of the total rig count is now gone. That's pretty brutal. A a little over six months. Yeah, it is, And, and that's... You know, and that's why we're seeing a slowdown in growth out there in the Permian Basin and Eagle Ford and and everywhere else, you know, nationally. We're still producing more almost every week uh, total for the country, Uh, but the rate of growth is quite a lot slower. You know, last year the industry added about 2 million barrels of oil per day of production during the course of last year. This year, we're on a pace now to to add about just a little over a million barrels a day of additional production. And frankly, that's a much more healthy growth rate. So I think this situation, even though we've lost some jobs because of the idle rigs, for the overall health of the industry, this is, frankly, a much healthier situation going forward. And and the rig count's going to continue to fall throughout the rest of the year. So it's it's somewhat expected. Enterprise uh, Productions and Chevron announced an important agreement that would probably lead to the construction of another much-needed oil export terminal. 
talk to me about why this is so important to the oil and gas industry. And I think that obviously infrastructure bottlenecking has been an issue. Yeah. This is an important announcement. Why? It is. It's it's important, and and you know we've talked about this before that uh, the next bottleneck once all these pipelines that are currently under construction open up during the course of the rest of this year and early next year, the next bottleneck is going to be at the Gulf Coast, uh, and you know the capacity for exporting most of this additional oil uh, internationally, and right now. We simply don't have the export capacity, even though the Port of Corpus Christi is so, you know, capable of doing so much, and so is Port of Houston. But really, overall, we still need additional export capacity. So this, it's called the Spot Project by Enterprise, the Seaport Oil Terminal Spot Project uh, that they proposed initially in January, and uh, yeah, they they reached big deals with Chevron uh, to, you know, for Chevron to transport its Permian Basin production on their network and help pay for the building of a pipeline from Houston down to Freeport. And then this is going to be an offshore loading terminal about 25 miles off the coast of Freeport. So it's uh, We're seeing a lot of big that. capacity and to be able to load the biggest class of all tankers out there so it's 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 important and it's important to the whole industry exactly let's uh talk again about oil prices <laughs> i know we say we yeah. talk a lot about oil prices but a uh, very big fall with wti it's being getting a lot of media coverage that's a drop by almost 10 percent president announced um, that he was going to slap another yeah. 10% tariff on the remaining $300 billion a month of Chinese imports to come into the country as they, the two countries continue their trade negotiations. Um, and that's going to start in September. And so the market reacted to that uh, in a panic, as the market always does. Uh, frankly, it was a tweet, and, uh, you know, we don't really have a formal policy announcement yet, but uh, that's how the market responds. Uh, I suspect we'll see the, the price recover, you know, over the next several trading days. And, you know, I, the president is getting very frustrated with China. Here's what's really happening is in these, these negotiations, they thought they had a deal back in May. China reneged on the deal. Uh, the president uh, spent uh, about six weeks going back and forth with President Xi, trying to get him back to the table. They're now back at the negotiating table, and the president is using this carrot and stick approach and the tariffs of the stick. And he wants to, he's trying to provide them more incentive to actually uh, end up making a final agreement here uh, as these tariffs are just killing the Chinese economy. And so, you know, the reason the, the oil markets kind of react negatively to that is because China is such a big source of demand for crude oil. So, you know, Chinese economic growth is important to crude oil exports and, you know, demand for the product globally. So anyway, it's just 
uh, a situation that seems kind of intractable right now. We'll see where it goes. Let's switch gears a little bit, David, and talk about the debate. We've all been watching the Democratic debates uh, that have been occurring. Something interesting was Biden's response about we need to get rid of coal and we need to get rid of natural gas. What's the problem yeah. with getting rid of natural gas? Oh, my goodness. I, <laughs> you know, the, these debates have just become this competition to see who can uh, say the stupidest things. Um you can't get rid of coal and natural gas. Uh, natural gas has already displaced a lot of coal, though. Uh, you know, the, the good news we've had this year, frankly, in the in the power generation sector, is that the, the usage of coal in power generation is about half what it was ten years ago, thanks to this new abundance of natural gas, which is much cleaner, much better for the environment, and frankly, the main reason why our nation's carbon dioxide emissions are at 1992 levels now. Exactly. Uh, it, it has fallen dramatically because of natural gas, because of the use of more natural gas in power generation. But, you know, the environmental movement, and we always know this would be the case, they think they've killed coal now. We always knew they would go after natural gas next. But, but and that's what they're doing, and, and, you know, all those Democratic candidates are very beholden to the Sierra Club and all these radical left-wing environmentalist groups, so that's where they're going next. It's really kind of shocking. I mean, this truly is one of the great alternative fuels that are out there for the future, and I guess I I can understand when they're having an, an you know, climate debate or some kind of a discussion on the environment. But you just can't lump in coal into natural gas. Uh, no, you, can't. you can't. You just can't. They're not at all uh, the same. One is really actually clean burning and is a really great uh, source of energy. The other one, I'm not talking negative about it, but it's just not going to burn as clean. That's a fact, but yet they lumped them together, Biden did, and I thought that was very interesting. And I'll tell you what's really interesting about Biden is that during the Obama administration, when Biden was the vice president, he was actually a pretty strong advocate for natural gas and power generation and, and everything else. Uh, but now that he's up on a stage with people like, you know, Governor Inslee from Washington, who is so far out in left field, he's to the left of Bernie Sanders on this issue, oh, and you know, and and the Democratic Party in Washington's basically being run by Alexandria Ocasio Cortez and her Green New Deal. Uh, he feels the need to uh, go out there and and advocate this kind of. Mm-hmm. frankly, insane policy that would simply destroy uh, our nation's economy. And uh, I'm not really sure why anybody who becomes president would want to do that. But, but there we go. I understand. David, thank you for joining us this week. I look forward to having you back on the show next week. Thanks. I look forward to it. We are going to take a quick break. You're listening to In the Old Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. 
Agreco has been powering the Permian Basin for over 10 years, supporting Permian producers with temporary power to get their product to market. When utility power is not available, Agreco is your reliable alternative. Agreco supports power systems as small as a single 200 kilowatt to as large as a 50 megawatt power plant. So when your utility power is delayed, call on Agreco to engineer a diesel, natural gas, or battery solution to fit your needs. We have immediate availability right here in the Permian Basin. Call 1-800-AGRECO or online agreco.com. The vision of the Women's Energy Network is to be the premier organization that educates, attracts, retains, and develops professional women working across the value chain. Also known as WEN, our mission is to develop programs that provide networking opportunities and foster career and leadership development of women who work in the energy industry. Thousands of women are breaking ground in energy industry careers every year, and 4,000 of them are already members of the Women's Energy Network across our 14 chapters. Members receive exclusive access to mentoring, job boards, group discussions, member-only networking events, expert speaking engagements, and more. Join today by visiting womensenergynetwork.org slash Houston or call 1-855-390-0650. The Women's Energy Network, empowering women in energy. And now it's time to welcome on our guest, John England, who is the Senior Oil and Gas Partner for Deloitte LLP. John, welcome to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Well, great. Uh, Thanks very much for having me on. I'm excited to be here. Well, you know, we've had you on before when you guys did your conference, and so I'm very happy. It's been a while, so I'm happy to have you back. The topic that we're covering is a really exciting topic because I don't think we anyone has really covered this topic. But before we really jump into the impact of the downward turn that the industry, you know, has been facing and where do they go from here? So it's going to be a very great show. Let's start off with a little bit about tell me about you, how you got to Deloitte, a little bit of your background for for us to kind of get familiar with who you are. Sure, sure, happy to. So um yeah, so I'm I'm actually a, a, a lifer at Deloitte. I've I've been here. It'll be 30 years um, in in uh, this month. So um, I've been with Deloitte my my whole career, um, and all of that. I've been in, in Houston and, and really focused on the oil and gas industry. So um, uh, I started in the audit part of our practice, where I worked on the accounting for oil and gas companies, and specifically spent a lot of time around energy trading, and then. Um, went on to, to take over our, and run our energy trading risk management practice and then ultimately our oil and gas practice and ultimately our even larger energy resources and industrials practice. So um, have had a number of leadership positions and, and had the, the honor of working on some of our biggest and best clients. And that's what I spend all my time focusing on now is just uh, client service for some of our largest, most complex clients. Well, you know, it, it also, in my opinion, says a lot about the company Deloitte. You think about how 
uh, hard it is to find a, a career, a life career person at the same company, and, and it really doesn't happen unless the company is just excellent. So let's jump into the oil and gas. So the industry, it's obviously no surprise that they've been on a long march towards recovery. Give us some perspective. We're going to jump into each area later on in the show, but I want to get an understanding of kind of where they are for t- right now today. Where's the industry at? Yeah, I mean, as a whole, I guess I'd say that um We've been in kind of a recovery cycle since um, over the last, uh, I'd say, a couple of years. Um, you know, you really look at it, if you just kind of go a little farther back. So we had this this great run um, up until 2014, where the industry was growing. There was a lot of capital um, going into the industry. Um, we were growing production both in the U.S. and globally. Um, but demand kept going up, and so because of that, prices were, were, were high and, and supported that. And then in 2014, everything kind of came down fairly quickly um, as, you know, supply went and continued to grow, but demand started to – demand growth at least weakened a little bit. And um, and OPEC, for the first time, really didn't backstop the industry and, and have production cuts. And so, you know, we, we went through this downturn um, – 24, the end of 2014, all of 2015, 2016 reached the low, um, and then really started to come back um, in 2017, and since then have, have you know really gotten into uh, more of a recovery area where we're kind of in this 50 to 60 dollar WTI pricing, um, which is you know okay for the industry, but you know parts of it are still struggling, and um, really the the equity markets still aren't rewarding companies the way they have in the past. So it's it's kind of um, I guess it's been kind of a stunted recovery in the sense that the industry is certainly healthier than it was a couple of years ago, um, but it's certainly not as healthy or robust as it was back in you know 2013 or that time frame. And I think that that's kind of where a lot of the companies and individuals that are in the oil and gas sector that were fairly new jumping into, you know, when there was such a frenzy at the beginning of Shell, the Eagle Ford mm-hmm. Shell, like, where are we at? How can we haven't fully recovered? And this is a very new thing to them. But I think in today's show, we're going to kind of discover each area of, you know, what can you expect. So let's begin with the oil field service companies, you know, some of the majors, um, Halliburton's, uh, BJ, Weatherford. A lot have been in the media lately. As they continue to struggle in the downward turn, what role can they play in helping bring a balance to the industry, or, or can they? Well, I mean, the, the service companies and, and the large equipment manufacturers have have certainly struggled um, to recover. Um, and, you know, some of it is to some degree you might say they've been a victim of, of their own success, their own um, innovation in that, um, you know, the, the the services industry, you know, with, with the producers have, have um, developed, you know, so much innovation, so much better technology, so much um, cost efficiency that they're able to do so much more with so much less equipment and services that, um you know, while that's benefited the industry as a whole, it certainly benefited the, the operators, the producers, um, but the service companies haven't really benefited this same way because, um, uh, you know, they're staying, you know, most of their, their services are kind of a done on a day rate type basis. So they're not necessarily getting paid more. And in fact, they may be getting paid less while, yes. while actually helping the companies produce quite a bit more. So it's just been, it's been a difficult situation. And so really the, that part of the industry still hasn't really fully recovered and I'd say isn't, isn't really healthy at this point. And I also wonder, 
operators, the EMPs, they can pass in some ways some of the losses on to these service companies, but service companies, well, they really don't have anywhere to pass off their losses, so they just kind of have to incur uh, those losses and find a way of making up for it somewhere else, and I think that's probably been another really big reason why. What about the uh, EMPs? I know there's a lot of discussion here. We might have to go into break in a little bit, but let's start with them. There's been a lot of mergers, acquisitions over this period of time. We're starting to see that happen more and more and more. I think we did a show with Jason and Michelle from Deloitte, and we talked about the mergers and acquisitions moving forward. Mm -hmm. It was a great show, but the operators, they've struggled. Uh, They've struggled with Wall Street now. Uh, They're maybe not doing so great still right now. Some are, some aren't. We're seeing some offshore uh, large global companies making their way into the Permian Basin area and, and doing more uh, North America stuff. But I'm, I'm curious to, to get your take on, is there a huge difference between the global EMPs and the more independents? And if there is a big difference, what are we going to see moving forward? But before we actually get into, you know, giving you the whole time, I also want to make sure that we cover Wall Street. And so Wall Street's kind of an important factor for how these companies have been growing. We're going to take a quick break, John. When we return, we're going to get back onto the exploration companies and how they're doing. We'll be right back. You're listening to and the Oil Patch Radio Show. Any business can benefit from advertising to the oil and gas industry, but it's really important to partner with a marketing company that has a proven track record with this growing industry. Shale Oil and Gas Business Magazine is the one-stop shop that'll keep you in front of the customers that you need to grow your business. So let's start growing your business in Texas. Email us, info at shalemag.com. Again, that's info at shale, S-H-A-L-E, mag, M-A-G, dot com. Or you can call us, 210-240-7188. Again, that's 210-240-7188. And we're back. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Our guest today is John England, Senior Oil and Gas Partner for Deloitte. And John, before the break, I was asking you a really long-winded question about where are we at with the exploration and production companies, specifically the differences between the major global companies that are starting to make their way into North America, and then, of course, the independents. How are they weathering the storm? Yeah, so I mean, the independents, um, you know, have have um, have improved their situation as as they kind of recovered um, from the downturn. Um, but you know, what's interesting is even though their their um, cash flows are are beginning to get much better, their their operating results are getting better. Um, you know, they're still not really getting rewarded much by by the markets, by by, by Wall Street in particular, um, in the sense that uh, the equity valuations on those companies really haven't come back from much from from the downturn. Um, and you know, we think it's it's partially just that uh, you know the 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 equity community is really looking for them to be more capital exercise more capital discipline going forward. Um, in the past, you know, this industry has been known for kind of um, fairly reckless spending um, for, you know, a very much reaching for, for production and sometimes overpaying for that. And so I think what the markets want is fiscal discipline from these companies to show that we're going to be fiscally disciplined, that we're going to be returns focused. 
Um, and I think for the most part, the companies have responded to that pretty well. But I think nonetheless, the, the um, you know, I think the, the, the uh, investor community is still kind of in a wait and see mode where they're not um, giving the valuations that you might expect, especially given, you know, the amount of dividends that have been, you know, paid over the last uh, number of years. I mean, the, these are fairly good return stocks, yet not, nonetheless, they're not getting the equity valuations that one might think. Um, maybe just to address, you know, part of your question as well is uh, in terms of kind of how the oil majors, you know, differ from the independents here. We are seeing a lot more uh, majors you know, enter into the, the shale plays, the U.S. unconventionals, and particularly in the Permian. Um, you know, I think whereas that used to be more of an area for the independents, uh, the majors are coming in, in a big way. And I think what they're finding is some of the economies of scale they can bring are beneficial. So, um, you know, there still be a mix, I believe, always in, in our U.S. unconventional plays between, you know, both independents and, and, and majors. And I think there's a place for both of them. But I do think that some of the technological advances and in, in the in the scale that can be brought by some of the majors is actually starting to come to bear and, and produce some, some good returns for them. So I think we'll continue to see that evolve. And I'm wondering between Wall Street and the global equivalents of Wall Street, they still kind of remain unkind to the oil and gas industry, despite getting these huge dividends paid out $720 billion between 2014 and 2018. Are they looking at mostly, is it your opinion, the independence? Or is this going to make a difference now that we see more of the major global oil and gas production companies coming into the United States. Do you see this changing at all? You know, I've, I've talked to our clients about this question a lot about, you know, what will bring the market, you know, back in, in the significant way investors back to the industry. And most folks think it's just a, it's, it's just a matter of really proving to the investing community that um, this is a good industry, that, that it can be trusted to, to be smart in terms of fiscal discipline and returns. Um, that that we won't um, kind of overspend like our industry has tended to do in the past, but, but be smart about kind of cost discipline. So I think it's just going to take a while to continue to prove that to the investing community. And, you know, I think ultimately um, people will look at these stocks and say, you know, I think they're very good return stocks. They're, they're less viewed as growth stocks today than they once were, but they're more viewed as kind of return and income focused stocks. And I think that's that's fine. I think there's a healthy place for that in the market and, and that there should be more capital that will flow that direction in the future. I kind of think that it might also be as these majors start making their way, a lot of them are already starting to, like you said earlier, in Permian Basin. They have, you know, a large opportunities. They've been around for a long time. They have great track records, whereas maybe some of the younger independents, uh, not so much. And I think that that might also play uh, into allowing a little bit more of this balance to return on Wall Street, or at least that's what, you know, I think we would hope to see is is that of some kind of a fair balance. I know we were visiting earlier with the service companies, but what about, um, how are they doing on Wall Street? Are they faring the same? Is it the same formula? Yeah, I mean the valuations for service companies are, you know, even even worse. You know, we've done we've done yeah we've done some analysis on on just kind of how um, the industry and the different subsectors of the industry have, have recovered. And you know, oilfield service um, the whole the market cap of oilfield service companies has has you know remained at, at very low levels um, even as the rest of the industry has uh, has come out of of this of this uh, downturn. So. Yeah, it's it's definitely a difficult situation. It's also, you know, the other interesting thing about electric services, it's also very fragmented still. So there's there's still a lot of very small players. So, you know, I think the case for consolidation continues to exist there if equity prices stay low and if and uh, if the industry stays uh, somewhat fragmented. So I think we 
we, we, we might see a, a case for more consolidation there. Very interesting. Uh, when we get back from break, I want to move into now the midstream because one does not exist without the other. And there's a whole lot of unpacking there, too. But we're going to take a quick break. You're listening to an old patch radio show. And we'll be right back. And we're back. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Our guest today is John England, Senior Oil and Gas Partner for Deloitte. John, uh, we've covered the upstream part of the oil and gas industry, exploration companies, Wall Street, and of course the service companies and how they have been managing the downward turn and of course recovery. And now I want to switch into midstream. Midstream has made and has been out uh, in the media a lot. Uh, some good, some bad. Um, but obviously, there's been a lot of investment in the midstream area. What uh, are you seeing in this area? Because you've got uh, some, you know, negative media out there with they don't want uh, pipelines have definitely been in the media in a very negative way. But I think everyone understands without pipelines, we have no way of transporting our energy or crude natural gas, and it's absolutely necessary. So how is midstream handling the downward turn? Yeah, I mean, I'd say overall, you know, midstream has done uh, reasonably well, um, particularly coming out of the recovery. I mean, we, there's been so much growth of uh, production in, in in the shale, particularly in, in, in the Permian, that has given rise to some tremendous need for midstream infrastructure assets. So, you know, that's um, gathering, processing, plants, um, storage, uh, storage capability, um, as well as transportation. And then, you know, the other factor that's that's helping that segment is the fact that, you know, we're becoming a, a, a very large exporter. The U.S. is becoming a, a significant right. exporter, um, you know, of crude, um, of uh, natural gas via LNG um, and via uh, and natural gas liquids. Um, all of that requires export um, capability, which requires infrastructure. So, you know, that, that's ports, that's um, storage, um, that's terminals. And so there's just an enormous need that's being created because of, of all this this growth in production and supply that really then creates uh, the need for for midstream infrastructure. So you know there's been there's been a nice growth um, you know trend for that industry. The midstream industry uh, market cap has has grown um, from 2013 to 2018 pretty substantially. Um, and and you know we think that's going to continue. It's it's a stable important piece of of this whole uh, puzzle and you know i think that will can continue to, to grow going forward and you know midstream returns typically have been stable they're not as high as, as upstream returns but they're nonetheless you know tend to have very good stability and it's an area that a lot of investors have have gone to because of that stability so you know i think the path forward continues to look good I and mean, they'll continue to have you know to deal with um, regulatory issues environmental issues etc but um you know in terms of the economic need for for that segment of the industry, I think it's quite good. So do you think that there'll be more investment in this area? Because it's been pretty minuscule, less than $10 billion in 2018. And we're seeing things like, uh, you know, bottlenecking and not enough pipeline going in fast enough and things of that. So when does that, in your opinion, come online, the investment part of it? Are we seeing it right now? There are a lot of pipelines coming online. I'm just wondering if it's enough in the next couple of years to correct a lot of the bottlenecking that's happening. Yeah, most most estimates, you know, feel like that the 
a lot of that de-bottlenecking will come over the next, um, you know, I'd say 18 months or, or so. There's a, there's a lot of pipeline capacity that's that's coming in. Um, and, you know, I think people are getting smart about trying to get ahead of that. So, yeah, I, I do think we'll continue to see investment there. Um, and, and that'll help to kind of clear up some of the bottlenecks that we've had uh, thus far. Let's uh, switch gears a little bit and talk about uh, refining capacity and, of course, the refineries. Um, there's They've been also in the media, there's been some discussion on their changing of their blends and things like that. Did the refining companies have any issues with the downward turn? Have they uh, not really experienced the downward turn, and are they in a place with all the exporting going on right now? Where are they at? Yeah, I mean, overall, I'd say the, the downstream sector that you know, includes refining and marketing has, has has done you know pretty well as well in terms of you know um, you know market caps for for our um, R and M companies, refining and marketing companies have have done um, you know reasonably well over uh, the, this time period. Um, you know basically because even you know a crude price downturn uh, actually downstream tends to do reasonably well in, in a lower crude price environment. Um, especially, you know, what they tend to look at a lot is the is the um, differentials between uh, U.S. pricing and other WTI pricing and Brent pricing, right. um, because you know generally refined products kind of tra- tend to to trade more on a global price basis, and so if that spread is is high, that actually helps them. And so they've you know generally fared pretty well. Additionally, there has been a lot of you know light oil that's come on the market as a result of of um, the shale. Uh, production, and you know that's given them a lot of feedstock. Now the issue is that our, our U.S. refining complex in general has been built to run a lot of heavy oils because we didn't think we were going to have that much light tide oil, um, and so um, you know they they put a lot of effort into uh, upping the refining complexity of our refineries, particularly along the Gulf Coast. And so those are really built to run heavies. Um, and now we've got this huge influx of light coming on. And so, you know, just a matter of trying to make, you know, blend that, make it fit into the refining capacity we have. So there's some challenges in the future, I think, um, as we go forward around that. Um, and in fact, less complex refineries have actually done better uh, than more complex ones because they, they can handle this this light oil, you know, easier. So uh, it's an interesting time, but overall the refining industry has done pretty well, although there's some interesting challenges for them on the horizon. What's your opinion on all of the exporting that's also occurring? Uh, you know, the Port of Corpus Christi has really been out in the media a lot. It's, I guess, considered to be one of the energy ports in the United States, or definitely one of the energy ports in the United States. There's a lot of exporting. We moved into net exporting. What is your opinion on uh, is this just the starting point of it? How much more do you see coming on of exporting, um, or do you see we're at its peak? No, I think it is just the start. I mean, I actually think it's, it's for one thing, I think it's interesting to step back and think about the fact that the U.S. is such a, it's already become a significant, you know, exporter of, of oil, of, of LNG, of refined product. I mean, it's, you just never thought you'd see that, you know, call it 10 years ago. So it's, it's exciting from that perspective to see, you know, what our industry has done. Um, but yeah, I think there's a lot more uh, upside, you know, where that came from. Certainly on the crude side, you know, this the light oil that we're producing again, it, it can find a home in a lot other uh, a lot of refineries um, outside the U.S. You know, in some cases, much easier than it can in the U.S. So um, I think that'll continue to grow. You know, we're throwing off a tremendous amount of, uh, amount of natural gas liquids um, from all this production and. You know, we can find homes for that in petrochem plants um, across the across the globe as well. 
Um, and then our LNG um, industry continues to grow. Um, in addition to what's already been built, there's uh, a lot of LNG capacity that's planned to come online over the next uh, few years. So, you know, I think we're, we're gonna just going to continue to grow as an energy exporter in the future. When we come back from break, I want to give our listeners and talk to you a little bit about what is our way forward in the energy industry? What do you see is going to be happening? There's some strategies I'd like for you to kind of discuss. We are going to take a quick break. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio show and we'll be right back. Shale Oil and Gas Business Magazine provides services like print advertising and digital marketing. Our digital advertising services include website, email, radio, video, and social media. Shale also provides specialized web services from website management to search engine optimization and social media management. Visit our website, shalemag.com. Once again, that's shale, S-H-A-L-E, mag, M-A-G.com to learn more. Shale is your one-stop shop for growing your business. Pick up the phone today and call 210 210- 2407188 again 2102407188 And we're back you're listening to in the Oil Patch Radio show our guest today is John England senior oil and gas partner for Deloitte. So John, we've covered everything up, mid, and down. Uh, We've covered some parts in between, some of the natural gas components. And I guess, you know, there's one thing that I do really appreciate about having and interviewing a company that has a, you know, a really great stellar uh, background in this as being an expert uh, is what's next. Uh, We've seen a whole lot of changes for the industry, and it's nothing new for the energy industry if you're a lifer in it, but there's a lot of new people that have come into the industry since 10 years ago when Shell started in North America, and I think that there's a lot of uh, questions like, where do we go now? And it's, you know, you can Google where do we go now, and you'll get 50 billion different answers. So it's important that, to me, we get some really great advice on uh, what do you think the industry is going to do? What's the way forward for this industry? That's a big question, but, I mean, maybe just to, to think about the pieces of that. I mean, when I always talk to clients about the path forward, what I, what I always, you know, tell them is, it's, you know, it's always hard to predict prices in this industry. Um, there's so many factors that impact that from, you know, supply issues um, to geopolitical issues to demand issues um, and even, you know, environmental and sustainability, you know, issues, that all, all of which are kind of entering the mix here as we think about what does is, what is the world look like, you know, call it in 2040, 2050. Um, but, you know, to me, the, the, you always then, you know, you can run a lot of different scenarios um, against that. And, you know, Deloitte, that's what we help our clients do is, is think through those scenarios. But you always want to go back to one of the fundamental things that should work in any environment. And, and ultimately, I think being a low-cost provider, uh, you know, a highly efficient um, provider of energy is, is always the best strategy, right? Because um, the fact is the world's going to need a lot of energy. Everybody's outlook says... It's growing. Right. The energy usage of the world is going up. Now, what that energy mix is, you know, it's going to change. And, and I have no doubt that there will be... Um, an increased amount of renewable energy and, and new energy forms on the horizon. Um, but, you know, everybody's outlook would tell you that there's still going to be a tremendous need for fossil fuels, you know, probably at least until 2040, 2050. Um, and then you might start to see demand go down a bit. You know, I think what I would always suggest is, you know, invest in, in technology and in innovation and things that are going to make your company 
better and more efficient going forward. And so, you know, that's where, you know, we're, we're spending a lot of time with our clients talking about and looking at, you know, innovation. How do you innovate to make your company more dynamic to, to actually think about what the consumers of energy are going to need in the future? How will they want their energy delivered? Um, you know, what optionality will they want? Those are the kind of things, if you can understand ultimately what the consumer of energy is going to need and then kind of go back from there and ask yourself, okay, so then what does my supply need to look like? both in terms of price, but also in terms of kind of the options that you provide to a, to a customer. I think that's a really important way to look at it. Um, this, you know, Historically, I wouldn't say the oil and gas industry has been a customer-focused industry. Uh, it hasn't really needed to, right? It produced a commodity that everybody needed. And right. so kind of in the world of scarcity, that worked. But we're not in the world of scarcity anymore. We're closer to the world of abundance. In the world of abundance, I've got to produce at the lowest cost, and I've got to produce a product that consumers want and can be delivered in a way they want it. And so, you know, that's the, the, the kind of mindset shift that, that uh, we're, we're telling, you know, talking to our clients a lot about today. And so, you know, I think that's very different, but it requires a different mindset, kind of a digital mindset, and that's the sense that a lot of these can be enabled through the digital technologies that, you know, are being developed and deployed in the world. So, you know, that's my kind of overall theme is, is to kind of change the mindset a little bit. Um, you know, and as part of that, I think that'll help attract a new wave of talent into this industry as well, because I think that's really important is that, you know, we, we have to change the image of this industry as being kind of an old school industry to being um, a high-tech industry that young people are coming out of college and wanting to work in, and, and that's where we're really trying to get to. Well, you know, we just finished up State of Energy in Houston, and you were one of the panelists and where the discussion was on technology and innovation and how some of these, you know, exploration companies are taking advantage of the latest technology. They're investing money in making sure they're developing really great technology that's coming online. The thing that was surprising to me was we encouraged a couple of the community colleges in Houston to come to the event, and I think we sponsored 50 engineers that were still somewhat on the fence of, um, you know, I want to go into oil and gas, but I'm not really sure. I might change my mind before I graduate, and they're pretty close to it. And of a survey that was taken, the majority of them really were more convinced that oil and gas has a great future for them and it is cutting edge and it does have all the best technologies, cutting edge technologies and technologies that are coming online for them. And so they were a lot more excited about entering into the energy industry. And I think that if they really understood how great this industry was, we probably would be able to attract a lot more of the millennials and the the younger generation. So maybe that's the next thing is that the industry needs to you know, try to figure out how can they reach this demographic and, and, and teach them what, uh, what I think what we all know in the energy yeah. sector as well. Any final thoughts on uh, where, where we're going with the energy industry or final thoughts for where the oil and gas industry should head, what direction or where are we going? Yeah, no, I think, I mean, that's the, the main thoughts is just to, to be, you know, focused on, on innovation, on, on technology that, that'll make a company more nimble, more efficient, um, and, you know, able to better and more efficiently, you know, produce energy and deliver it to, to the people who need it. And, you know, people are going to need it. And that's the thing I, I just want to make sure people keep understanding and stress is that, you know, the energy industry is critical to the world we live in. Um, it's a, an important part. And, you know, people should be proud to work in this industry. Um, you know, we, we do something really important to help to make the world a better place. And so, 
you know, I, I, I just always stress that to people, too, is that, you know, we should be proud of the industry we're in and what we do to make the world a, a better place. And I think, you know, we got to just continue to make it uh, uh, more positive and, and more efficient and, and better for the world. And I think people will, will come to it and flock to it. Hopefully that'll bring uh, the investing community back in a bigger way, too. We'll start to see better valuations for some of our, right. our companies, too. Well, you know, energy is just so important. People don't really connect the dots. And, you know, we're going to have a huge consumption of food and and access to clean air and water. And I just don't know how we get there without investing in allowing the energy sector to grow and continue to develop greener and cleaner ways of doing things. But with food consumption going up to where we don't know how we're going to you know, sustain life, that energy becomes now so important for, for you know, just sustaining life. So I think it's a big picture. It's a complicated picture to think about where do we go in the future. Uh, but I think that I agree with you that fossil fuels and, and alternative fuels and everything, they're going to become important, but we're probably going to be needing all of them because we just probably won't have enough energy to sustain the whole entire planet. I agree. Couldn't agree more. So. Well, thank you, John, for coming on today, and uh, I hope to have you guys back on here soon. We look forward to our partnership with Deloitte, and as always, you guys have a lot of wealth of information. So, John, where can someone go to get more information on Deloitte? Um, you can just go to Deloitte.com and then um, you know, uh, put in oil and gas, and you can find um, any of our our thought leadership, our, our research, um, and uh, you know, contact folks in our industry as well. So that's probably the best way to to access our information. And you know, we're always happy to have people go there and um, see all the the interesting things that we're thinking about and, and writing about these days. John, thank you for being a guest today on In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Thanks so much for having me, Kim. It was a pleasure. In the Oil Patch is where together we explore topics that affect us all in oil, gas, business, and in your community. Every week, your host, Kim Bellotto, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch. 